0: Welcome out to the Bulls and the Bears. This is Aaron Warby and I'm with Online Trading Academy, most trusted name in financial education. Um, this episode I'm going to be doing on my own. I don't have Trina here or any of the others and I know that they're very helpful. Um, and uh, But, you know, it's kind of an off week for the markets and an off week for the Trading Academy because we haven't had any classes this week. Um, and that's, uh, well, that's been kind of rare. <laughs> So I've had help on on some of the other episodes, but right now I find myself kind of alone and needing to get get one of the episodes out, needing to get some information out because we have had things happening in the markets uh, that I want to transmit. Now, what has happened in the markets this week? Well, Monday, nothing. Tuesday, nothing. Wednesday, not really anything. Thursday, all of a sudden we had a drop. All right, Uh, Powell got up and started talking and and scared everybody, and immediately we saw the markets drop. Friday, it jumped right back um, up and into the supply zone, in fact, deeper in the supply zone than it had been. Uh, For those of you not familiar with the supply zone, what I'm talking about is um, an area where uh, the larger sellers have shown a propensity to sell off. Uh, You know, some of... Some, some people would refer to this as a resistance zone. That's kind of, that, that's kind of descriptive, all right, of, of what's going on. But it, it's a supply zone where if it's going to turn around, you would expect it to, to turn around. Now, sure enough, it had a lot of resistance in that area. We didn't see it shoot through it. We haven't seen it shoot through it yet. So it's going to be very interesting next week to see if it goes through. If it does, then we're going to be on an upward trend. All right. If it doesn't, then we might get that Santa Claus rally. If it doesn't, then, well, it's going to be going sideways or down. All right. Um, And now that's the technical investor side of me. All right. Reading it as an economist is going to be even harder because from an economic standpoint, it shouldn't be that high in the first place. All right. Um, So if I'm looking at the value of the market, the value of what's going on, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it should be where it is today anyway. It should be much lower. But that's not uncommon, you know. Um, in fact, uh, I, was, I was going through stocks this week with a couple of, uh, well, students or those that were looking to become students. And they just wanted to see how things, uh, how things actually work. We were going through a free three-hour class. And, and uh, people kept asking me to look at, at different stocks for them. And they were surprised at how many of them, from a fundamental standpoint, are really on shaky ground. You know, for, um, if you're looking at their books, if you're looking at uh, the decisions, the financial decisions that they've made and uh, and where that's placed them right now, it was kind of scary. All right. A- at least for them, because they had invested in those stocks. <laughs> All right. Um but uh, but yeah, the, you know there there's a lot of that going around, um, and I think that everybody should be aware. Now, trading and investing is something that, well, I'm, I'm going to say this: investing is something that that we all do, or should be doing. But it, it's a natural part of life. All right, um, an investment is simply something that you put resources towards, expecting it to pay, to pay off larger. As in, you put in this much, and it comes out the other end. You know, much larger. Now that kind of sounds like a perpetual motion machine, but it's not. It's the act of letting other people do the work for you, and that is a very natural part of economy. Okay, and so you provide the money, they provide, um, you know, labor, which turns into more value in the company, which turns into higher uh, stock prices, and therefore more value, and then you sell that value off. All right. Uh, So it's a very natural part of life. And it it happens um, in everything that we do. Um, In, you know, we decide we're going to go to school, not because we all love sitting in class, listening to professors, but because we expect that on the other side of that school is going to be a job waiting for us or, you know, an opportunity waiting for us that we could only get if we had learned what we needed to learn in school and therefore qualified for that job and even though we've spent years paying for that education now on the other side we spend more years reaping the benefit as in higher pay than we would have had if we hadn't gone to school and so this is just investing i think everybody understands uh, it at least in its um you know in a in in its fundamentals all right um and all of us have probably done it now i, I got hooked in fact my my first so got to tell you a story um I was in a class uh, when I was young and they, they wanted us to learn how to trade and invest or at least invest. So the professor handed us all a paper and told us that the assignment was to go and find the Wall Street Journal, um, look through, he, he gave us some basic understanding of how, you know, what to look for, how to look at things and then told us to go and uh, write down some tickers and invest, uh, you know, invest $25,000 of fake money so this was paper trading or paper investing. And at the end of the semester, uh, you know, we were going to kind of compare notes and see how we all did. Well, uh, I looked at the newspaper, went through several things, you know, um, and finally I landed out on just sticking all of my money into Disney. Uh, That was a pretty safe bet. You know, Disney back then was called a golden stock. It had a long history of just constantly going up. And, um, I happened to get in just before the release of, well, actually there was two things that happened. One, there was a release of, uh, what turned out to be box office gold and Academy gold. All right. And it was a, it was one of those animated, uh, movies. And second, uh, they, they did a split, a stock split, which, you know, temporarily takes it down, but now that it's less expensive, there's a surge of money going towards it, so there's a buy-up, and the stock goes up, and and now you've got two instead of one, and it's gone up, you know, both of those stocks have, have gone up, um, you know, maybe a couple of percentage points where it wouldn't have been able to go up if it didn't have the split. Not like that, anyway. All right, now, splits aren't, aren't good. If people understand what splits are, they probably wouldn't get very excited about them, because it kind of dilutes your... <laughs> It dilutes your shares, <laughs> um, you know, over time. But uh, but there is a lot of excitement around them. And so, hey, if you see somebody that's, or a company that's splitting, it's uh, more often than not, it, it's going to split and go up. And, and it's actually going to go up before the split as soon as they announce it. Anyway, I had gotten it before it was announced. And so I got both the effects of the box office gold and the... Um, uh and the split during that time frame, and I doubled my money by the end of the semester, so I kind of won the challenge in class uh, right and my professor took me aside and and then tried to he said, "Hey, you've got a knack for this let's let's talk and he kind of gave me an explanation, gave me some training as to how value investing works all right and and I was hooked from that point forward by the way and so you know, I've I've spent a lot of energy looking at the markets and and uh, trying to learn about them, trading in them, uh, investing in them. Um, and here I am, many years later. And the truth is, I haven't invested in Disney since. <laughs> All right. Uh, and I wanted to talk about why, because I think that it's kind of important to uh, do a post mortem on this. Um, I, you know, it seems that Disney has lost their focus on good family entertainment. And with that, their edge in the media market. Okay, back when they had focus, they it was much more predictable um, what was going to make them money and what wasn't. You know, uh, and so they thought, hey, you know, here was the thought. At some point, they made a business decision. Yeah, we, we've got this uh, family market nailed, right? Uh, kids love us, but we want to get more of the market share of even the adult entertainment uh, type things, and so they started. Uh, buying up Touchstone and, and different things that, where they could expand out uh, from the kid movies, from the family movies, to um, getting both the family movies and other things just under d- different names, right? Well, that loss of focus has really, I mean, they're now very diversified. But if you talk to Warren Buffett, Warren Buffett hates diversification. He says diversification is great for the ignorant, but makes little sense if you know what you're doing. And that is because when you start diversifying, when you start you know, picking up uh, more and more things, then you're going to have some that are growing, some that are losing, and that diversification is going to start averaging everything out. And so you guarantee yourself over time, as you pick up more and more and diversify more and more, you guarantee yourself that you can't do any better overall than just average. Well, Warren Buffett doesn't like average. Disney decided that they were going to diversify and now they are simply average. They're not gold anymore, right? And so now that they're in all of these forms of, of entertainment, they're simply not as profitable. And In fact, they're, they're starting to uh, lose in many of these areas, all right? Um, and so I'm not expecting a lot of gold out of Disney stock anytime soon because they haven't wrapped their head around the idea that they need to get back to focus just yet. All right. Um, And a lot of the different stocks that we see out there, the ones that you'll notice that have the best returns are typically the ones with the best focus. They know their market and they nail their market and they get a large percentage of the market share because they know how to work in their market specifically other players who are coming into the market um, maybe late uh, maybe you know trying to diversify they don't do it as well and so they end up not getting the market share not being as big of a, cl- a crowd pleaser i suppose and so they they simply well you watch their stock and they and they don't grow like the ones that are that are as focused all right uh, uh tesla is very focused on electric vehicles and if you look at their stock price and their P.E. ratio as compared to uh, Ford, GM, um, you know, even Toyota, which is one of the better performing uh, car stocks or vehicle stocks, you'll see that that uh, Tesla outperforms any of those hands down in terms of five year growth. OK, now they're going to start losing uh, some of that uh, for the next little while as as they have to start competing with other electric uh, vehicle companies and, and all of the larger companies that are getting into the, you know, spreading themselves out into the um, EV market. But I suspect that as long as they have a concentration on just electric vehicles, they will maintain an edge um, in the profitability standpoint, because they're going to be better prepared to address their market. Right. Now, I'm not telling you to go out and and buy Tesla. Like I said, I think that the stock is going to um, have a hard time while they have to start dealing with all of, um, you know, uh, the new market. uh, Well, everybody coming into the market share, taking market share from them as as we have these new entrants. But I do believe that the better focus that they have, the better they're going to perform. And so I'm going to be watching them very carefully. Uh, to see if they maintain that kind of focus, not because I have them in my portfolio right now, but because I might in the future depending depending on how that goes. all right um, one of the other things that I think that we need to look at uh, coming up and for the next couple of years and I'm going to get away from from simply you know which stocks to look at and why uh, and start looking at just the overall market because I think that one of the things that, That, um, you know, is going to be really telling, and especially in the near future, is the bond market. Now, I wanted to mention that for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's probably going to be getting hurt for a while, and I don't care whether you're into, you know, the uh, corporate bonds or the government bonds. In fact, I suspect that the government bonds are going to be probably the most hurt over time. And I say that knowing that just in the last two years, all right, since uh, 2020, the bond market, the 10-year note um, especially, is down 24% in value. I mean, think about that, 24% in the bond market. And this, you know, people, retirees keep bonds in their portfolio because it's supposed to be very safe. Well, the markets, you know, the S&P 500 is down, but it's not down right now 24%. The bond market is, all right? Um, The five-year, the 10-year, the two-year, all of them are down, uh, you know, just that much. Now, one of the reasons that they're down is because of the law of supply and demand, all right? Uh, Specifically since 2020, since um, that debt issuance, we have climbed into an area Uh, of debt in the United States where it's going to be really hard for us to get out of it. All right. Now, just to put this in perspective, I've got to tell you, I had a, um, I had someone in, in our classes in one of the three hour classes, uh, that is, is now going to become a student. All right. Um, and he was lamenting the fact that America is in so much debt. And he said, he said something that, um, that he thought was, was absolutely shocking. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I, I had to one-up him, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but he said, did you know that, that uh, to pay off the national debt, every citizen in the United States, because the government debt is actually debt for the citizens of the United States, that every citizen in the United States is in effect in debt $78,000. And that's what he said. $78,000. That means a baby, newly born baby that just got a social security number in debt, $78,000. All right. Well, I knew a little bit better because this is one of the things I clock since I'm a trader in the bond market. Okay. Now I've just been shorting them lately. All right. For the most part, but, (laughs) but, uh, but, you know, because I'm very concerned about the bond market, I keep tabs on it. So I opened up what's called the debt calculator, n- not the debt, Cal- the debt clock, the U.S. debt clock. And I think it's uh, usdebtclock.org or something like that. Um, they track the bonds that are issued uh, and the government spending that's that's going to create the new bonds uh, coming out. And And I, I had to show him that... Um, you know, what, what the real debt was. And so he was absolutely shocked. He said that every person was in debt by $78,000. Well, usdebtclock.org says that every citizen of the United States, every single social security number that is out there, individual social security number is, is in debt over $600,000 individually. If we tried, if we wanted to tax people, in order to pay off the national debt and get back to sanity, all right, we would have to, every person come up with $600,000. That's not, that's not per family. That's per person. All right. Um, and what that means by the way, is that, uh, let me see, is that the Bank of America is estimating, this is not the, uh, the, the debt clock, it doesn't estimate, it just shows what's actually out there right now, all right, but the Bank of America estimates that the U.S. is going into debt at a rate of $5.2 billion each day, all right, and th- that means that every single hour of every single day we are going into debt $218 million um, as a nation, and... I think there's a little over 300 million people in the United States, something like that. So you you can see how the dollars are stacking up for each of us. All right. Um, Yeah. So, so that, that is absolutely astounding, you know, and, and yeah, that, that kind of shook him, I think, but it it shakes everybody when they first see it. The thing is, is that knowing that we're not going to be able to pay off that debt knowing that the only thing that we can do in order to pay the price of the debt is either give up all of the, I don't know what even to call them, uh, the government, well, you know, the government funds this, the government funds that, all of those government backstops that we've got cost a lot of money, and we would either have to give up those and keep paying taxes, meaning that our highways wouldn't get fixed as as fast, they wouldn't be as smooth, right, Uh, There wouldn't be backstop for people that aren't, you know, aren't making it in their jobs. Uh, We wouldn't be sending money to foreign governments. We wouldn't be able to have as large of a military, Uh, things like that. If we were to cut out all of that, it would still take us years to start paying this off because— you know, because debt is much higher than GDP right now. That means that the gross domestic product, right? So if the government simply seized all dollars that were made in the entire society for a whole year, nobody got paid, everything went right to the United States government, Uh, you know, directly from the businesses selling stuff into the government coffers, we still wouldn't pay off the national debt. Well, because of that... All right, because of that, what that means is, is that just like Japan, we are now in a cycle where we have to constantly issue new debt just to pay for the old debt. And when we do that, then the law of supply and demand starts kicking in, meaning that the more of something you have, the less value it is generally, right? So when you only have one widget and it's the only one in the world and it does a very specific thing that is needful, then, you know, it's very valuable, Um, everybody wants it, they're willing to pay a lot of money for it. But when there are millions of widgets, more widgets out there than people, you know, then they're like paper clips. who cares? They're not worth very much. All right, well, that's the situation that bonds are in, right? Because all we can do now is issue more bonds to pay for the old bonds. And so you're watching the bond market decline. And this should be especially of concern for people in the, you know, that are still using the 60-40 split because their retirement depends on bonds maintaining value uh you know into their their goal, what should be their golden years but it's very likely that the bonds are going to keep losing value this is especially scary because um you know the stock market is in a is in kind of a weird period as well all right and, and let me let me try and put this in perspective uh, the bond market or the the stock market looks like it has done very well. I mean, we just got through with a a twelve year bull run, right? For twelve years, from two thousand nine up to up to twenty twenty, uh, the markets were just headed straight up. It was it was bull after bull after bull year. Uh, the only pause in that really was two thousand fifteen, uh, where we took a fifteen percent jog down, but then shot right back up, and that was for like half a year, something like that. And we ended the year higher than, you know, than we started. So it was an up year anyway. Um, but, uh, you know, to put it in perspective, let's just take a $100,000. If we took $100,000 and, and uh, you know, bought all of the shares of the S&P 500 that we could back in the year 1980, January 1st, 1980, we bought um, $100,000 worth of S&P 500, uh, you know, well, not shares, but bought into the fund at $100,000. And I guess it's kind of like shares, you know, but it was $109 back then. Uh, and then we kept it until the year 2020. So 20-year period, we kept it. Um, we would have had, the, the account would have grown to a value of $1.3 a little bit over $1.3 all right. Now, take the same $100,000, stick it in the uh, S&P 500, buy all of the S&P 500 shares you can. Now at $1,419, I think, something like that, um, in the year 2020 or the year 2000 and hold it until uh, the year 2020 and you have $165,500. is a massive difference. All right and and what that speaks to is the ability for people to simply buy and hold the market. All right? The S&P 500 outperforms the mutual funds that are out there, which means it outperforms the 401k's that are out there and those that is kind and all of the mutual funds by the way. That, that's kind of what people are counting on to just ride their money into retirement. But if you You know, if you look at what how things used to be, the slow, steady growth that we used to have, and and the way things are working today, where we're working not in constant growth, but in you know spits, I don't know, spurts and dives, right? We we have spurts. We had a hundred percent growth in between two thousand three and and two thousand seven, but that only just barely broke us even from the drop that we took from two thousand down to two thousand three. Yeah. Then we had another drop in between, you know, right after we got through with our bull run, the 100% return in 2007, we had a 57% drop in uh, 2007, 8, 9, ending on February 9th of uh, 2009. And then we started that magnificent bull run. But you know what, that 385% return was not you know, just couldn't undo the damage that was done during those protracted and deep uh, drops in the markets. And now if Warren Buffett and Jeremy Grantham are to be believed, we are going to have another one of those 50% plus uh, drops and probably another one after that. Okay. And so we're going to keep going in these uh, little spurts. Now, Now that doesn't mean that there's not opportunity. It means that opportunity comes in a different way. And we simply have to understand, you know, we have to be more educated than we used to be. Um, we could, if we had just thrown our money at the market in 1980, we would have retired wealthy 20 years later. You know, great. Uh, but you can't do that anymore. Uh, you know, and and I don't care who you want to look at, uh, look at the Wall Street Journal and they'll tell you, in fact, there was an article um, about it, not this this last it was, it was two weeks ago, I think. And they said the set it and forget it in the 401ks is over. It doesn't work anymore. That was a study that they did. Um, and you know what? If you look at the average 401k at uh, age 65, it's only 232,000. And so, yeah, the Wall Street Journal knows what they're talking about, right? Um, and, and if you uh, look at Citigroup, all right. Uh, look this up on, on Google. Just go to a Google page and say Citigroup speaks heresy uh, and, um, and then put in market timing. And it'll say something like Citigroup says that, that uh, investors have no choice but to try and time the market. And that is because these deep draws and all of the time lost in trying to battle out of the deep draws is really robbing, uh, robbing the market. It used to be that someone could simply go into real estate and know that their house was going to grow by 7% every year. But when you have years like 2020 and 2021, where you're shooting up 2019 and 20% in one year, well, you, you know, that's eating up all of the profits of, of, uh, tomorrow. So the experts that are looking at it are saying, yeah, we're probably going to be flat, in uh, real estate price, you know, home price growth for another decade. And they're probably not, that's probably not unreasonable. Um, Anybody, I don't know, here in this area, if you bought a house in 2007, you didn't actually, uh, the house wasn't worth what it was in 2007 until 2018. So that was an 11 year period. Okay. Uh, So, you know, the experts are looking at it in in, um, what's called average true growth. And they're saying, yeah, we did some real damage to ourselves, you know, with this buying frenzy in 2020 and 2021. It was brought on by, you know, super low rates, uh, once in a lifetime low rates. I mean, when was the last time you saw home mortgages go for, you know, 2.8%? Well, besides 2020 and 2021, not in any of our lifetimes, you know, (laughs) the 30-year mortgage just, just wasn't there. So, you know that that drove the home prices up because if you could afford a two point you know eight percent mortgage, uh, then the price could be much higher for for the mortgage that you were going to have. But when the mortgage when when that mortgage rate rises back to an average of seven point five percent, which is the average throughout recorded mortgage 30 year mortgage history, then you can't afford the same size home. That kind of kills things for the next decade right? Uh, So that's what they're looking at. Um, Anyway, uh, you know, the other issue that we've got in the markets is that, is that because we have people that are buying and selling in the markets, that are really kind of ignorant about how things work, they will, I don't know, the market will get super emotional and buy things up, just in time to figure out that, hey, things aren't worth what I thought they they were worth. And so then, of course, it comes crashing down when, when, you know, the first sign of trouble and they find out, oh, no, what did I do? And then there's a big sell-off, right? So uh, this last week in class, I had some people, uh, you know, they wanted me to, to look at the value of what was in their portfolio. And this is, I, I love playing this game because nobody understands the numbers. Um, and, you know, when you're trading, you don't care about the, those numbers. <laughs> anyway, uh, when you're investing, you really should. And so, you know, these people were longer-term investors, and we were having a class on on that sort of thing. And so they had me look through uh, several stocks, and we went through Amazon, we went through um, NVIDIA, you know, all of the popular stocks. But then we got into some of those uh, s- slow and steady stocks. Um, and one of them that came out was Wal- Walgreens, Walgreens Boots, all right, WB was it? Yeah. WBT or anyway, uh, Walgreens, the Walgreens stock and, um, the person that was holding it in their portfolio was absolutely shocked to see that not only were they losing money. All right. They were losing something like, um, like two, two dollars and 40 cents per share per, per year. All right. But they were also borrowing money in order to pay the dividend that they were paying. Well, that's kind of ridiculous. So they're losing money and borrowing money to pay a dividend, to pay the owners for a company that isn't making money in the first place. Uh, That's not solid business. And that, you know, so there's absolutely, there's, you know, that's kind of scary because you're already watching CBS and other places like Walgreens starting to declare bankruptcy and Walgreens in the same market is struggling, losing money, and still paying out dividends, you know, to keep that stock price up, of course. But, but you know, doing things that aren't business, well, it just doesn't make any sense from a business point of view, right? Um, and, and they're doing things like that during a contractual period, and you're still holding it in your portfolio, and they were shocked to see the, you know, those numbers. They had no idea. Another one, this, this one is really fun, all right? Whirlpool. Now, Whirlpool is always kind of a, I don't know, a canary in a coal mine for the housing market. And so if the housing market is down, you can expect that, that Whirlpool is down. Here are the numbers on Whirlpool, okay? Whirlpool right now is losing just north of $28. It's $28.88, I think, per year per share, they are also paying a dividend of $7 per share, all right? And what this means is, is that the company, by the number of stocks that they have, all right? This is a calculation. I looked at their market cap and the price of the stock and, and uh, divided those two down, and, and they've got you know, millions of shares of stocks. But, uh, but if you're looking at how much money they're losing per year, they are losing one point billion billion per year. That's how much they've lost this last year. And they are borrowing of that $1.5 billion, all right, uh, $328 million is borrowed in order to pay that, div- that $7 dividend per year. That's astounding. Now, if you understood that, would you be surprised to note that today, this is Friday, um... What is it? August 10th, Friday, August 10th, because nobody understands this, the stock surged 1.72% today. Well, you know, think, think about that for a minute and see if, if that's something that uh, sits well with you. All (laughs) right. But because nobody understands the numbers, they'll go ahead and bid up on, on uh, things like Whirlpool. All right. Things like Walgreens boots. Uh, They simply don't understand the numbers. And so they have no idea you know, that, that things are wrong. And, and it's because of their ignorance that the new and shiny things get so much attention. All right. So, uh, in the year 2000, well, 1995, uh, all of a sudden we saw this big boom in technology because, because of a shiny new thing called the internet and people were throwing hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars at this internet thing, because of course they were going to eventually make money. It was the new thing, right? And they bid and they bid and they bid until all of a sudden it became apparent that nobody knew how to make money on the internet. And all of a sudden, reality kicked in in the year 2000. And we saw three years that it just dropped for a total of 50% drop. All right. Now, years later, here comes the new and exciting thing. It's called, you know, blockchain, or you you probably know it better as Bitcoin, if you're not uh, familiar with blockchain, right? But we've got Bitcoin and Ethereum and and a bunch of these digital, this digital currency. And hooray, we have now something new. And so all of a sudden we see the price and it runs up and it runs up and it runs up over a period of years and it tops out at 60,000. And then reality sets in somewhere, at least for, you know, a good part of the market. And it drops from 60,000 down to 15,000. And I think it's recovered now into the high 20s. But that's more than a 50% drop. You know, and it's the new shiny thing there for a little while. When Bitcoin was dropping, the new thing was NFTs. Okay, and people were getting excited about it. And if you haven't heard of NFTs, congratulations, you just save yourself some money. Because of course, the there's a reason nobody's talking about the NFT market anymore. Right? And all of these little digital images that you could buy and, and have the rights to thinking yeah, that's going to be mine and mine only, and I'm going to be able to rent it out. And wondering to yourself, well, what happens if somebody simply, I don't know, makes a new image? (laughs) You know, is mine worth all that much if people can just make a new image? Uh, And that's exactly, you know, what happened with the NFTs, all of a sudden reality set in. All right, well, all of these things, you know, what I'm talking about is is we've got a culture where we can now get into the market where we couldn't before. I mean, recognize that prior to 1995, if you wanted to buy or sell in the market, you had to call somebody, you had to call a broker who would then go and trade the market for you. And the broker was trained to look for value. And the brokers that were buying and selling from each other stayed pretty close to value. All right, because it was their job to get you the best price, whether they were buying for you or selling from or selling for you. They were there to get the best price that they could for you. But because they both had the same information, because they both understood how to look at a stock and they weren't, and both of them weren't getting very emotional about it. We didn't see, you know, these booms and busts like we do today. Now with the internet, you can go and buy what you want and sell what you want without ever consulting, um, a broker or a textbook. So you have no idea, you know, whether you've got any value or not. It's just the new and shiny thing, and so we're having these massive booms and busts in the markets that robs you from you know that robs gro- time growth and that's why uh you know we're seeing that for from nineteen eighty if you had held if you had bought a hundred thousand dollars worth of shares in nineteen eighty of the s and p five hundred it grew to one point three million twenty years later but from twenty twenty to twenty you know, I'm sorry, from 2000 to 2020, you only get $165,000 worth of growth instead of 1.3 million. All right, that's a massive difference. And it's because of this boom and bust cycle. Now that doesn't mean that we don't have opportunity out there for, for growth and safety. What it means is, is that we can't be lazy anymore. We can't just throw our money at the market and expect it to make more money on the other side like it used to. Now we actually have to be thinkers. Now we actually have to understand that there is a rhythm to the market and use the rhythm. Now we can't, we we can be a part of the booms, but we better save ourselves from the busts if we want to, if we want to succeed like yesteryear. All right, that's all it means. And I'm not, you know, there's actually more opportunity now with these booms and busts than there was Uh, during that 20-year period where we didn't have any booms and busts. It's just that you simply have to uh, know what you're doing because there's always something that's going up when the market's going down. The real key is to figure out, you know, to get out early when the market's going to go down and in early to something that's going to go up when the market is going down. All right, back in uh, 2020, Um, The Federal Reserve announced that uh, they were going to start raising interest rates, and the professionals knew that that meant the stock market was going to get hit. They also indicated that we were going to be in a period of inflation, and that meant that commodities were going to go up. And so obviously, things like oil, um, you know, corn, uh, soybeans, uh, chocolate, uh, you know, uh, coffee, steel, all of those things were going to get more expensive. And so understanding how to move over from the S and P 500 into Exxon mobile was the difference between losing 20% and gaining, uh, what was it? Uh, 46% during that year. So a 66 yeah, 66% difference in uh, where your money lied. Now it wasn't that you were out of the markets. It was that there was an understanding of the cycle of the markets. All right. Um, so, you know, and, that, and that, was, that was something that you wouldn't have been able to pull off back in the 1980s. You didn't have that kind of, um, that kind of boom in one sector and bust in, the, in another, at least not to the same degree. So there's more opportunity. You simply have to learn how to do it, right? And that's where we come in. We teach people uh, timing of the markets. In fact, we have a class called the market timing class. Um, And and we talk about the tools, the rules, the strategies, the reports that that lead you to those smart decisions. Um, And everybody thinks, well, that's outside of my, uh, you know, my area of expertise. I could never get it. You know what? It might be easier than you think. Um, Give it a try. All right. We've got free classes uh, and we've got free classes near you. So if you're in the Phoenix area, the class near you is in Scottsdale. If you're not in the Phoenix area, then the class near you is going to be online. But all you would do is go to www.tradingacademy.com. There's a free three-hour class talking about the uh, fundamentals of both trading and investing. And believe me, even if you've got um, experience in the markets, a reminder of the fundamentals can't hurt you. And there might be different fundamentals than you think might be worth your your you know couple of hours of time just to find out it's free so go to www.tradingacademy.com register for one of the classes and if you're in the phoenix area come and say hello because i teach a lot of those classes and i'd you know very much like to uh hear what you think about our podcast when you come in (laughs) so register for the class at www.tradingacademy.com and we'll see you there.